0: Zero Hours, Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero Hours! Hello, and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creators about the best and worst jobs we've had to do to get by. Today, I'm joined by comedian and council worker, Sean Davis. How are you doing?
1: Hi, I'm fine, thank you. How are you?
0: Oh, so good. Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that sounds like uh you do not mean it <laughs>
0: <laughs> see everybody says that honestly try it it's just be overly
1: enthusiastic when people ask you how you are and if they don't trust it I don't think there's I, I'm not sure that it's the accent Catherine I don't think you could be overly enthusiastic about anything and come across as genuine when you're from Rochdale I just don't think it's I like Lisa Stansfield tried it I wasn't buying it from her either do you know what I mean well,
0: yeah, I think um, it's. I don't know if it's better or worse to have somebody else with a regional accent having a go at me. <laughs> I get enough of yeah. that in London, thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Catherine.
1: <laughs> no, no,
0: it, it's fine. We'll get it out of the way early. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> no. <laughs> have you um? Have you been gigging lots lately?
1: I yeah, I've had a few gigs this week. I've been busy. Um. I was I was in Scarborough, which was oh. um, a delight. So <laughs> <That's
0: laughs> sure well.
1: <laughs> a midweek Scarborough gig uh, that was fun. Uh, I also I was opening at uh, um, Frog and Bucket for lovely Tom Mayhew's um, recording of his second series on Radio Four. Um, so, so the lo- lovely, lovely Tom Mayhew, who did uh, Best in Class with us in 2018. He's gone on to do marvellous things. He's the darling of Radio 4 now. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's got a second series. So they were doing... When they did the first series, it was all over Zoom because of the pandemic. So this is the first opportunity to, to record it in front of a live audience and he did it at the frog. Um he asked me to open for him, which was lovely. So um really weird having a radio four audience in the frog <laughs> bucket though. Yeah. Um because they were all it was done through BBC ticketing. So they were all you know people that people that go to radio for things. So it was <laughs> it was <laughs> interesting. But it was good fun. And then I got to stay and watch watch Tom's recording. So yeah it's good. Oh that's amazing. So, yeah, it's a nice. Video stuff like that at the Frog, do the
0: minute? Uh, recorded and stuff tomorrow. yeah
1: I don't know I don't know if it's like um to do with like BBC Manchester, you know, being at Media City and stuff now or they're just sort of trying to trying to be diverse. I don't know, yeah. but um it's, it's good for us, you know. Oh, yeah. Good for the Northwest, great for the venue. Um yeah. Absolutely. I remember
0: um, I did a air level in media studies. A very worthwhile qualification. And um <laughs> it was at the time that everything was moving to Media City in Salford. And they were like, There, guys, there are going to be so many opportunities, there are going to be so many jobs. And then they just brought all of their employees from London and gave nobody in the north anything for um,
1: yeah. a few years.
0: So it's nice that they are actually.
1: All, I that. think all we got from that was um, an increase in house prices when everyone from London moved up here, realised how cheap the houses were, and immediately bought a whole street. Um, mm-hmm. And then not only did we not get the jobs at Media City, we got priced out of living in the area. So that was fun. Yeah, and that license fee—it's <laughs> the London way, baby. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> capitalism.
0: Yeah, <laughs> if uh, if we could just, uh, I think it's insane how many uh, building, empty buildings there are here. <laughs> and they're like, if you guys could all just like cram into one room, we've got this yeah. building to keep empty. Uh, cool.
1: Yeah, we're saving this one. We don't know why, mm. but we're saving it. <laughs> yeah. All right, George. <laughs> uh, <laughs> saving got... it for Beth.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got into that very quickly. Um, I'm very bitter about house prices. Um, <laughs> anyway uh, let's get uh, down to what the people paid for uh, and by the people I, I mean uh,
1: m- me to host this podcast. Um, <laughs> what, what What's your worst job been? I mean I've had a lot of crap jobs Catherine. I am um, in fact so many that I in order to remember what to talk about when I was prepping for this, I had to get my CV up and have a little <laughs> read through because I've like, I'm nearly 40. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've had job after job after job and I'm the sort of person that, well, when I was younger, definitely I would just do a job for a bit and then just walk out because I just, I'm tired of the bullshit. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but I think worst job wise, I worked in retail for a long time. And like, I was, I was in management and stuff. But I think like some of the worst jobs I've had have definitely been in retail. Like I work, like sometimes you're like your management but you're basically only been paid like two pence an hour more than the staff you're managing. That happens so much in retail and the service industry. And it's like, it's, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. You're being paid next to nothing, like two pence above minimum wage to basically run an entire business. You're accountable for everything. Uh, you get constant shit from the people above you and constant shit from the people below you, um, and yeah, I think that's it, it's the worst of both worlds, really. And I've definitely definitely had a few jobs like that for sure.
0: Yeah. So, how many kind of management roles did you have, and what like how was it? How did you kind of get into it, and why did you stay in it?
1: Yeah, I was. I've probably had about five or six sort of management roles at, across different companies. Mm-hmm. I got into it by mistake, really. Um, so I worked in like, um, after uni, I, d- I did sports studies at uni, which is, um, you know, one of those things that came out of the 90s when everyone was meant to go to uni because it would improve their life. And they came up with basically a load of um, useless degrees, like, you know, <laughs> basket weaving and things like that. So yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got a degree in like playing rounders um
0: essentially
1: (laughs) yeah pointless absolutely pointless um but off the back of that I went into like outdoor education and I really enjoyed doing that but it's sort of seasonal work um so in the off season that was winter I would come back home and I would do um like temporary work and the the easiest sort of job to get in October is Christmas temps in retail you know so that that's how it started so I started as a Christmas temp and then kind of like most jobs um in retail and hospitality the longer you stay around you just get promoted because everyone else leaves so (laughs) it's just (laughs) about staying power it's like literally you know oh do you want to be a manager there's no sort of training progress like there's no sort of anything like that it's just well everyone else has left now so um can you just manage the store and we might we might give you a pay rise or you know just here's the keys that's nice isn't it (laughs) you've been here for six (laughs) months you're
0: our longest serving member of staff do you want
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much that that's how it happened and then um and I mean I I guess I did enjoy it at first you know if if you're interested in the product you're selling it's fine if you sort of you know if you've got that kind of thing of just being able to, to talk to people and chat to them then you can make sales quite easily but it gets stale really quickly. You know, you get bored of it. Um, and people are just assholes. I think that's the main <laughs> kind of thing. Like people are just, customers, oh my God. What was oh. your worst? Give us give us your top five <laughs>
0: worst customer um, experiences. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Everyone's got a thing.
1: <laughs> I definitely uh, had to call security once on a Sunday shift. Um, in a, a menswear retailer. Yeah, so Sunday supervisor. So I'm uh, the one in charge, being paid next to nothing to run the show. Um, and a man came in for a refund on a pair of leather shoes because the leather had, um, you know the way like leather, when you wear a pair of shoes, it sort of creases and like it marks a bit. Mm-hmm. That's what leather does. Yeah. Um, he wasn't happy. And he came in angry, I, I was behind the till and he literally came over with this box of shoes, slammed them on the desk and went, not happy. And I was like, oh, hello, <laughs> how can I help sir? <laughs> so um. he went through this whole thing about how they were damaged and blah, blah, blah. And I explained how, you know, leathers are a natural material and, you know mm-hmm. these, these things happen and, you know it's actually sort of part of, part of the process of, of of them wearing in and you know it's sort of a benefit and a feature of the product really um and he he, he was leaning across the desk he was trying to grab me by the lanyard it was oh uh, you know and that's not a euphemism it <laughs> it was um he was it was pretty severe so i got on the old radio on the old uh, you know yeah that's another thing that is hilarious about retail people with shop workers given security radios in who have no idea what they're talking about trying to right there's an ic1 male here doing this like, do you even know what that means what are you talking about shut up um so I just got on the radio and went i don't know what the code is there's a man in here shoes. and uh yeah security had to come and take him away um did they take the shoes that as well I think I think he I think he wanted the shoes, yes. In the end, I think he yeah. <laughs> uh, when he'd finished trying to beat me with them, oh um, I worked as well in like an old ladies' shop, a bit bit similar to like Bon Marche, mm-hmm. that kind of vibe. But um, yeah, so it was I was like management there, and that was uh, That was fun. That was nice. There's a lot of little old ladies coming in, uh, you know, just sort of casually browsing elasticated waist garments and things like that so it was mm. nice to have a little chat lonely ladies you know really. um, and one day I was up a ladder fixing the air conditioning unit because you know retail that's what you yeah. do um, and <laughs> I was up there with with a screwdriver I'd brought in from home
0: trying oh to get God. the filter
1: out of the air conditioning unit um, and a lady and her husband came in and the gentleman shouted across the store what have I told you if you're gonna go up them high ladders you could at least wear a short skirt oh my god what and his wife just laughed and it took all my will not to shank him with the screwdriver to be honest um yeah I was like I mean come on and this was in about 2017 maybe something like that you know, not it wasn't long ago not enough. Not long ago, um, but, you know, just that sort of overt misogyny was just fine. Uh, not a problem at all. And as well, I think, like, the regional manager was there at the time, and they just sort of laughed it off. Like, ha, ha, ha the customer's always right. Oh. Are they? Should I just change into a skirt now, then, so we can see yeah. my what, Like, what do you want?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, if you'd have pulled your trousers <laughs> and underwear down there, <laughs> you'd have been the bad guy.
1: Yeah, there is nowhere to oh win. Oh God, I wish, I wish I'd have done that. Just absolutely dropped kicks. Like, yeah, at the top is this what you
0: want? Is this what you want to see, sir?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, the customer is always right. Here you go. Have a look.
0: <laughs> have a go on that, son. <laughs> <laughs> Does your wife laugh at this? Does she? <laughs> lick me, lick me. <laughs> I don't want to, sir. <laughs> no what you
1: asked
0: use. for. <laughs> I Lock think... the doors.
1: He's staying.
0: <laughs> no one leaves till this man just licks <laughs> think... Oh dear God! I honestly think that that is what we need to match that with. You know, like mm. if you are gonna do this, let like I, I will show you sexual aggression. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will raise you your misogyny. Yeah you want to make things
0: uncomfortable let's make
1: things Mm. uncomfortable Mm. yeah yeah I think as well in that job it would often get like quite a lot due to the age of the customers but also the location of where the shop was um an awful lot of just casual racism homophobia transphobia the lot like you know when you're just like Oh, I'm sorry. Can I just and like you? You do have to balance things with, you know, you you're working in the service industry and you've got to be nice to people, but also with like, hang on a minute, that's absolutely inappropriate and mm. I'm not happy for you to say that. And I I would say that a lot to people, like you know, once a week. Yeah. <laughs> be like, I'm sorry, madam. That attitude <laughs> isn't appreciated here. Um, yeah. would you like to switch topics or leave? Yeah. It's hard uh, isn't because it, you know. Yeah, I think I think like you, you, can you can buy into a brand and you can be a brand ambassador and you can try and get the customer, which is what you know what retail's all about. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to compromise um the right things <laughs> just to make a customer feel comfortable. Absolutely yeah. not.
0: But then the, there is that, but it's like well, the amount of work that would have to go into educating you on
1: this and why what you're saying is wrong whether you know do i not i'm not on the pay grade to do that for a start no. and also probably yeah. cheaper to just euthanize them at that point <laughs> yeah. i think yeah <laughs> you've got just have a trapdoor just like <laughs> yes madam changing room three please <laughs> there's another one
0: <laughs> and i'm going to give you uh just just one moment here to uh do you, is there at any point that you think you might be wrong in what you said? No. Okay then. Crap uh, <laughs> door. Crap door. On could the radio. I <laughs> your mind. No. Okay then. Well. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, straight to the gates of hell. That's yeah. how it works. I
1: <laughs> Customers are just. I, I. don't know if I can. I. You're stretching me now for a top five, but I can definitely go for like one more at least. Let's do it. I think. Three. Yeah, top three will probably be more, more there. If I had longer time to think about these people, I probably could. But a lot of them I've blocked out, like they've been that traumatic. I, I can only imagine. I've sort of, you know, a lot of therapy to get rid of those people living in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay. I think my ro- most recent retail job was um, for a luxury coffee brand, um, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of people get like gave me a bit of flack for working for them because they were like, oh, you know, they're owned by Nestle and you know about Nestle, right? And I'd be like, yeah, but you know about uh, how we're living in a capitalist regime and um, things cost so much and they pay more than minimum wage and I can't afford to have morals. So that's why I work for them. But people like to to blame a uh, a lot of their issues on me um, mm-hmm. So we were trained on things like uh, what to do if people came in and protested. So we had like um, a full shutdown procedure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because obviously, you know, Nestle have done some, some pretty bad things around the world and people don't like them. Um, mm. Personally, love a chunky Kit Kat. Um, used <laughs> to get a lot of Nestle stuff for free when I worked for the um, for the company. That's how they get you, you see. Um mm. Like we used to get like um, boxes and boxes of like Quality Street sent to us at Christmas just for the staff. They like they buy they, they claw you in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but now now I don't wait for them. I can be a bit more moral with it. But um yeah, we 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 got trained on like what to do if a load of people came to protest about whatever you know Amazonian tribe um Nestle were were killing this week, um, mm-hmm. or whatever the situation was. We actually had um the week before, um, the week it was the week before I finished working there. I think it was yeah. So it was basically um, a big news story came out, and we were like we were being briefed on it, like what to do. It was likely that we might have some sort of protest in the store. We could have this happen. People could come in asking questions, um, because there was going to be a big um, dispatches documentary. Mm-hmm. um about how our coffee was being grown by children i think it was in costa rica and this thing, this big thing was going to come out and we were expecting absolutely you know for the companies to be decimated job losses the lot no one knew what was going to happen yeah it came out um, but it sort of just got lost in the news because the coronavirus pandemic was like in full f- flow and we went into nationwide lockdown a week later So it was like, really the whole Costa Rica children working in coffee plantations did not, no one was bothered, it was fine. People just really, really wanted their coffee before we got shut down. So we just had like, we we were trained for a protest to happen. Instead, we got an absolute run of people, like all the doctors and stuff, like the really well off people and the people that worked at the top that knew we were, we were gonna get shut down imminently. We're like, I need 10,000 capsules of my coffee and I need it now. And I don't give a fuck about the children of Costa Rica. <laughs> Just shows, doesn't it? What people yeah. are actually bothered about when it comes to it. Yeah, uh, but cool. we, had, we had some fun customers there. So like, um, first of all, cause it's a luxury brand. You, you know, you, they expect that high level of service. And, and we certainly gave that but some people just expect a little bit more um, mm-hmm. like they expect to treat you as um, I'm going to say slave. And, um, you know, they're just very demanding, very rude. Some of them are absolutely lovely, but some of them are just awful. Uh, we would also have um, like, we so we do tastings in store. So part of like being part of this coffee brand is you can just come in and you can try the latest coffees. You can see what you think of them. Like, my job was a coffee expert, so we we would chat through all the blends. We would talk about, you know, we, we had loads and loads of training on it, and like we'd be able to say, well, you know, the, the beans in this come from come from Ethiopia, so they're um, really floral. They'll go really well um, as like a, a mid-morning drink. It's quite sort of it's almost tea-like, or you know, this one's a South American blend, so it's quite fruity, and um, you know, like we we had all this training um but they would just first of all they'd just come in demanding coffee like yeah i'll just have a coffee and you'd be like okay which one of our 40 expertly crafted blends would you like and they would pick like the shittest one and ask for it as a latte and you'd be like oh fuck off <laughs> you,
0: don't, you don't know what just you're
1: fuck about. off! <laughs> yeah what are you doing or, you know, like they'd say they do you'd explain all of the perfect things of how to make this coffee the best way to get the most out of the beans and all of this. And they'd say, Oh yeah, well, what I do is I just um just run the water through it five times. Um, so it's like basically piss. And then I um add a bit of milk to it, eight spoons of sugar, and then just like throw it in my eyeballs, and you'd be like, Oh, great choice, lovely. Mm, <laughs> fantastic
0: people be like i will yeah. have a vanilla uh soy decaf latte You're like you don't want a coffee and that's fine <laughs> you don't yeah you don't like it don't worry <laughs> yeah
1: pick something else i love hot chocolate it's
0: fine I, I am very interested in how they decided to build um Protest management into their business model, as opposed to just doing the right thing, because
1: um, yeah. I imagine it
0: is cheaper. <laughs> but I, mean, I imagine it's cheaper to teach a few people how to kick protesters out of a shop than it is to stop using child slaves. Um, but what, what is the what was the content of this? Without I don't know outing anybody.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> essentially, what you have to remember is, is Nestle, as the parent company, do own something mm-hmm. like, is it 50% of all businesses in the world or something? They, yeah. they own everything. They own yeah. everything. Nestle and Coca-Cola, they, they own a lot from, from dog food to even like, like we would get a hamper at Christmas that contained loads of these products that you think are um, little, you know, local independent things, like all these these little quirky crisps and popcorn and beers and things all absolutely sold out to Nestle and we would get them in a hamper and be like ah didn't know we own that cracking mm-hmm. so you know even the things that you think are uh, a moral lovely beautiful choice they're not Nestle own them they own it all they own yeah. it all and to be fair um, if you
0: had a little company 100% would be someone was like I'll give you Nestle was like I'll buy it off you and you made forever I'd be like, yeah I can take it yeah of course you
1: would of course you would Can't, as i say you can't afford to be moral in a capitalist society you just gotta you, you gotta make, <laughs> make your own choices you gotta do what's right for you and if that's selling out then so be it i'm sorry mm. you gotta do it um but yeah they we would have like trading sessions every week and it could be like it could be anything really from like you know um health and safety so it'd be like um it's you know a man lost a finger in our gatwick store <laughs> from uh, from slamming a till drawer. Uh, can we talk about ways that we might prevent this from happening in the future i i think that man needs some anger management because he's slammed that till drawer um because he's you know he, he's pissed off that's What's happen there there's no sort of health and safety around it but there would always be you know something absolutely obscure like that going on like somebody has been blinded by um a splash of milk uh <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> this led to um three days loss of work within the company um and we estimate that if this was to happen in every store within the next 12 months it could be, uh, you know, cataclysmic for the company as well. a <laughs> whole. Well, okay, well, what are we going to do? All put safety goggles on whenever we're pouring milk? Is that what you want from us? So that we've bought the RNIB. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what we've decided is, as a company, we're just going to take all of your eyes out now and provide you <laughs> with white sticks. Uh, we think that's a cost-effective way of getting around it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's what it was like and then uh one week it was just like okay so we need to talk about protest management and we were like I'm sorry what um and they sort of skated around some of the bigger issues like the baby milk and the the water and the deforestation and the child labor um and how um you know we we do we have a really good recycling program so that's <laughs> what we should be
0: talking about I love um, it we've
1: done some shit but those bottles recycle. Yeah, 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 absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. So that's, you know, think of the positives. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I love it. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So is that it? If the protesters come in, you just have to be like, we recycle,
1: though. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you just have to try and manage them out of the store. I think the whole thing would be if they were going to protest, they'd probably do it outside for people to see. But if they came in and they started talking to you about things, you don't answer any questions. You can just turn things around to talk about the good things you do, um, and obviously always contact the uh, contact the uh, the media and PR department to um, give any statements. You know, you don't want to be you don't want to be a spokesperson for for the man. Um, so yeah. And and it was very clear about lock lock the front door. <laughs> get yeah. Them out, lock the front door and hide out the back. I think that okay. was the main thing. Like like there's there's a bunker, um, just get get down there, hunker down, we'll send someone for you, we'll get you out. <laughs> yeah. And enjoy uh, a a small beer,
0: some quality streets and some yes. baby formula yeah
1: each, each employee that is in hiding in the bunker is entitled to uh one small coffee <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna make it last you don't know how long you'll yeah. be in the bunker <laughs> yeah having been there for three weeks you will will you will then get a quality street each.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you've managed to survive the shits from drinking that much coffee
1: <laughs> yes Oh God. Did if you can me? find them, of course, because you are blind, because your eyes were removed due to the milk. So, <laughs> okay. so you know <laughs> the eye but, yeah. It was it was an interesting place to work. Uh, some lovely customers, but the other thing was because customers knew that you could come in and get a free coffee, uh, people would come in on the scope of buying a coffee machine um, and just to have a tasting. And we, you know, we we're a small store, and there's about well, fifteen of us that work there. We knew them. We knew the people that came in on a weekly basis and went, oh, I'm thinking about buying a machine. I'm not really sure. Can you just talk me through it all again? We had lists of you. We had photos out the back. We knew. (laughs) One guy came in once and we were like, oh, he's here again. And uh, we made him a coffee, sat down at the tasting bar and whipped out his own croissant. (laughs) That is cheeky. That is very cheeky. Um, So yeah, we had a lot of those people. Um, But we we just got used to them because
0: that was going to be my next question how many people just came to the free copy and um, could you at any point could you be like listen pal this is the third time this week fuck off <laughs> was that in the manual or did you have to be nice every single time
1: generally we had to be nice but it did get to a point with with certain characters and I say characters because they absolutely were like they could you could have written them they were that sort of obtuse we um we, we would say our tasting is only available for members of our club. Right. Am a club member? And then they'd go, <laughs> um, and they wouldn't be, so we'd send mm-hmm. them away. Yeah, that's a good way around it. Oh, you're frozen, Catherine. Are you still with me?
0: Yeah, you have also frozen. Oh, there we
1: go. Oh, yeah. you're back. You're back. What did I freeze on? You need me to re-say it?
0: Uh, no,
1: I think that was the R.H. about the club members. Okay, good, good. So,
0: horrors of retail. Yes. What, what other uh, terrible jobs have made it onto your mental list? Ugh. I mean, <laughs> I think like
1: retail's definitely awful. Um, <laughs> I've had, I did, I di- during COVID um, where the first lockdown I was, you know, test and trace that everyone hates when they ring you up and ask you all those ridiculous questions. I did that. Um, Now, to be honest, not going to lie, quite enjoyed that in terms of that. It was working from home. It Mm. was relatively easy. We weren't that busy. We were paid all right. Um, So, you know, I couldn't complain at all, but it was ridiculous. Like, first of all, working for an agency. So, like, you're working from home, but you... You had to keep like keep your mouse moving like every ten seconds or whatever. There was like you know it's remote working, but we had to have an alarm and check in every however often. So you just like you you know you could, there's no work to do. So everyone's been called that needs to be called. So yeah. you put the telly on or whatever, but you've still got to be like you know checking in every ten minutes, checking in, checking in, checking in. Like there's nothing to do. Just leave me alone. Um, but you know when when we talk. On a national level, about the money wasted on test and trace, I like. I do agree a lot of it was wasted, but I also agree that a lot of probably working class people and people that would have been out of a job during the pandemic actually got a bit of that money in their pockets. I know I certainly did. Um, you know, retail shut down. I um didn't have a job, and yeah. uh, you know, comedy was completely gone. Uh, so yeah, for me, like even though what I got of the of the whole track and trace budget was a, a minute amount um paid my bills for the you know for a big portion of the lockdown so yeah yeah I guess yeah it made it made jobs where there was a, a vacuum mm.
0: where well, you little
1: know, what what else do we do mm. well that. um it was like it was mad chatting to people as well like you'd be ring you ring people up you would get a lot of abuse in that job as well people, really? uh, oh yeah definitely so like you get um First of all, you'd get the people that were um, just didn't want to speak to you, thought you were, it was a load of rubbish, whatever. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing it. I don't care. Blah, 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 Right. Okay, fine. Um, Or people that would just, you know, give you a load of abuse on like a conspiracy theory level. Like, are you coming to my house to put this vaccination in my arm? And I'm going to like, mate, I'm sat here in my dressing gown. I'm not coming anywhere. Like just, you you know, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I don't know what the big picture is, whether the conspiracies are true or what, but I'm not involved in them. I'm I'm low level. I'm mm. <laughs> this is not my scam. I'm not running anything. <laughs> I just got to fill this form out. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you could just tell me like whether your um, email address has got an underscore in or not, like that'd be fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then you get like the lovely old dears who just you know. We're genuinely lonely, didn't have anyone to talk to. And it was really nice to be like, I'm just checking in, just seeing that you're okay. That was nice. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I enjoyed it on some levels, but it was awful on others. Um, But it was like, it it was a job. It was all right, you know. Um, You get people who were like, um, oh, i can't." just trying to think with some of the ridiculous people that we had. No, it's just people that like wanted wanted the well for me as well. Like, so I've got to isolate and I've got no shopping. Are you gonna like sort that out for me? Um, no. Have you heard of like Uber Eats or can you maybe like what? Well no, I can't do that. I can't get on the computer. Right. They've got an email address for you here and you filled this bit out online. You requested you test online. Oh, <laughs> so what am I meant to order shopping online then? yeah like at this point as well we're like i don't know a year into a pandemic so perhaps you could have stocked up a little bit on on some cupboard essentials and like this is nothing nothing for people that genuinely can't get hold of food and genuinely can't afford to do that because part of my job with the council when i moved on to do that was um sorting out like really vulnerable people while they were isolating so organizing food parcels to be delivered organizing um electricity and gas top-ups for, for like vulnerable families while they were in isolation when they had COVID. So I absolutely fully understand that. But some people were just, you know, doing it to be pedantic, just to be like, well, you've said I've got to isolate, so I can't go to the shop, so you've got to bring me food. Oh. Nah, mate, not not happening. <laughs> I I really, like,
0: I feel that, you know, like work, working at, at, at the hospital, similarly, mm-hmm. I think it really frustrates me, the people who are like that because it you know it, it's like you're you're being difficult but it's for the greater ultimately it's for the greater good because you're not yeah. going to kill somebody else by going out when you're sick but then you know it, it really like you say it, it undermines people that actually need the help it's really difficult to sift through people isn't it yeah. who are just being an asshole for being for the sake of being an asshole because you are the man if you know what I mean by being Absolutely. on the phone and then the people who are actually like no no I've got a garden chair in my living room and half a can of beans I re- I'm, I'm cold and I need help yeah and you, like it's so frustrating isn't it
1: it is it really is and like we, we just we had all kinds of scenarios like that and the the annoying thing was as well like the um all the all of our legislation just changed on a daily basis. So yeah. we, you know, we tried to know what the advice was. We tried to know what the laws were, but, you know, we were being caught out by it ourselves. You know, you tell someone something and then you'd get a memo saying, as of midday, this has just changed. It's the complete opposite now. And you'd be like, right, okay. Oops. So, you know, you just, it was it was ludicrous. It was like the blind leading the blind half the time. But um, mm. like, you, you could make a difference sometimes and you just had to hold on to that. But, you know, things like... um like whether yeah so you'd have people that win um win first language english so you'd need to get a translator on the line so sometimes Mm -hmm. they would say oh a family member can translate great smashing then other times they'd say no for safeguarding it needs to be one of our interpreters so you like but this would just happen overnight and it changed back and forth several times so it was like, you know, you'd be speaking to a family member and they'd be like, well, I translated four us three days ago. And you'd be like, yes, but now I have to get an interpreter and I've got to do a triple person call and they'll probably cut me off halfway through. But that's what the rules are today. So it was quite yeah. like quite frustrating, really, when, you know, probably the person was fine and the husband, brother, father was happy to just say, yeah, they're fine. I'm looking after them. It's not a problem. And, you know, they could have translated, but the rule on that particular day was that we had to get a third party to translate just in case things weren't fine.
0: Oh God.
1: So how long were you doing that for? Uh, So I did it for the agency for about, mm, I'd say maybe about a year, maybe just short of a year. And then I got the job working for the council, so I was running the like the local test and trace basically. So the council took over the tracing service. Um, so we w- then it got a lot more interesting. So um, I, you know it it was about you, you could see more the outcomes and you knew the sort of different people in play. So I was helping families and I was able to set get in touch with you know a local community centre where there was a food bank and they would have a volunteer. Who could take them a food parcel, or you know those kind of things? And I was able to, you know, um, get in touch with the school that the children went to and make sure that you know, um, if they were on free school meals, that um, you know something was being sent sent home, like some sort of food parcel to cover that, because you know when you've got a family with with like five five children in, and they're all on school free school meals, and they're then at home for ten days that can absolutely blow, like, the budget of, you know, a family that, that are on the bread line. It, you know, mm. it's just, think about how much a teenager eats. Do you know what I mean? They go yeah. for a loaf of bread a day. It's ridiculous. And, you know, things like saying, well, normally, they're on free school me- school meals, so they have one big meal in the day, and they just have, like, toast here in the morning and, and a sandwich when they get in, and, and we rely on that one big meal. So, you know, if they've got to isolate for 10 days, that that's massive, you know, and that, yeah. that's potentially, you know, Five children falling into mal- malnutrition, and and as a council, as sort of the corporate re- responsibility for that, you know, we we need to make sure that that their their needs are being met. So you know, there was a lot of of those kind of things of of sorting sorting people out that were vulnerable, that were you know likely to to really struggle during during isolation. So yeah, um, and that was much more rewarding because it was on that local level, you know.
0: Yeah, it sounds like worthwhile work.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How how do you think the sort of council response was to that? Because I know that there was um a big uh sort of thing <laughs> thing over you know the um provision of sort of free school meals you know the pictures of that like mm-hmm. rotten banana and yeah you know, all of that shit. Um do you feel that it was like um, a better executed locally if you know what I mean than uh,
1: nationally I think so yeah I think that um you know the working working for a council isn't ideal there are things that you know your hands are tied with certain things there's lots of different departments and things like that but I think the the key thing at the heart of certainly the council I work for is that we are there for the people of that borough and you know we we might be bound by legislation and there might be rules in place and ways of going about things but we all have the, the needs of those people at at the front and that, that's what we, we aim to to support with and, and I think that's how it should be you know and no nobody knows the individual sort of needs of an area that, than that council you know it it's sort of um the the demographics within the borough are are vastly different you know and and from in the Northwest the council I work for the, the needs the languages the abilities the health will be very different than a London council, or you know, a council in Scotland, or you know, there's so different the things that people need. You know, we're we're um we've we've got a diverse population, but we don't have a huge amount of different languages spoken, and um, you know, all those different things. Like there's there's a there's a real level of poverty in the borough I work in but there's also a a pocket of real like affluence there as well so it's just sort of like knowing that and managing things and like being able to meet it based on those things and having those links already as well so like you know we might already have a link with somebody in that school in that area or you know that particular community centre things like that so yeah and a lot of people across the council kind of came through into the covid kind of support team so it was it was nice it was a good a good thing to do and a good place to be working definitely yeah and sort of what
0: um uh, uh, somebody on the inside um what what, how would you sort of like recommend you know the people listening um that need to sort of access help in whatever capacity from a council because like personally I would have absolutely no idea where to even begin is it like
1: online do you go to offices what's the the best way of so most councils will have some form of contact center some sort of phone line that you can call up they'll typically only be open office hours which is frustrating the best thing to do is call that and just get get on it um as much as you can like speak to whoever you need to speak to find out as well like you know googling people that work in that particular department and sending direct emails to them sometimes helps as well And i would i would say don't um don't bother filling out online where it's like, you know, a contact form or whatever, because we would often have things sent to us that had been like battered around the council for weeks. Like, I don't know if this person, <laughs> who this person needs or what this is about, but it's gone from housing to health to there, to there, to there. And yeah. you're like, ah, no, not us either. Sorry. And send it on again. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with that. But I would say if there's a phone line, call that. If you don't get the answers you need, call them back the next day. Um, and just just keep on them really. I think as well, like local, sometimes local community groups and charity groups um, have really good partnerships with the council. And the council might not be able to do a certain thing because their hands are tied. But a local community church, charity, something like that, they they'll almost be acting with the council's blessing to to do something. You know, so yeah. it's worth kind of going and reaching out to community groups like that as well.
0: Yeah. That is good to know, because um, I think that was a, another thing that a lot of people felt in the pandemic. It's just like, you're thrown into it and you think, well, okay, what, what, do, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. How, how to cope with it. because um, so that I, I guess, I usually then ask what people's best job is.
1: Okay. Do you wanna, um, I don't know if you wanna say about what I'm doing now at the council? Because yeah. I'm still working at the council, but COVID's over.
0: Yeah. Is that your
1: so? Best job? No, it's not. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Is it a good job?
1: It's a strange job. So basically, okay. COVID, yeah. when they announced that COVID was over on the news, you know, it just went away. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Thank God yeah, for our, that. <laughs> yeah, it just went, didn't it? Oh, I, I think they planned it. I think they gave us like two days' notice. It was like, oh, it'll be done on Tuesday. So um, as a result of that, the need for a tracing service at the council disappeared, mm-hmm. but we were all still contracted, so um, they kept us on and we just had bits of ad hoc work to do from other council departments. Then um, I myself had COVID, had like 10 days off, came back into work and um, was <laughs> was greeted with the news that we've been repurposed and we are now um, homes for Ukraine. So th- that's what I do now. I am uh, basically running, running that. yeah amazing (laughs) so yeah it's really really interesting um it's obviously it's all brand new um and it's like the um people that come to us have already been matched up so it'll be ukrainian people and sponsors within our borough we sort of initiate like dbs checks and household checks and things like that um and then make sure that they sort of get you know everything's going smoothly really and we're trying to yeah. set up like a bit of a network going forward um you know we're not really sure what the service will look like in six months time when we've got you know um 150 people that have come from ukraine what like how we'll be supporting them so at the moment we're looking at people who've arrived getting them into schools um things like that so it yeah it, it's interesting um, and yeah. But um yeah wasn't expecting that when i came back from yeah COVID. <laughs> That's quite the gear shift. It is, yeah. yeah. And uh, they're still writing our job description because it was just sort of like, this has basically happened really quickly. Mm. Um, we need people to do this job. And we've got you lot sat there not doing very much. Do you fancy it? And everyone went, yeah, all right, why not? And I think on the, on the whole, it's very similar to what we did with COVID because it's ultimately still helping people. It's still yeah. supporting people. It's still finding services that can... You know, help people out when when they're struggling. But it's obviously it's very different. You know, we're not public health anymore. We're we're more like communities teams. So everything everything's sort of shifted across. So there's lots of things for us to learn and, and get used to. But it's um, it's all right so far. Yeah. So good. Sounds great. So what what
0: route are people taking to sort of get here from Ukraine? Is I um, assume plans to be arriving in the <laughs> northwest.
1: <laughs> Yeah, most people have like um, they've crossed overland to another European country, and they're then going to fly in. Like we've got people in in Poland that are coming through, and um, we've actually got sort of again local community people who have driven to Poland and come back with people um, and dropped them off all over the place. Um, mm. We've got some people that are in Ireland, so they've managed to get that far as part of like in in the Schengen zone, basically. Um, yeah and then they're, you know, awaiting their visa in Ireland, and then they'll come over by, by boat or, or plane, I assume. So th- there's lots of varied routes. Um, you know, we've got people on the on the family visa, we've got people on the Homes for Ukraine visa, and then there's also other people that may have come in via other routes that we're, um, you know, we're, we're keen to still support, and visas can, I believe, be, be granted in retrospect for those people, but it's just about sort of finding them and making sure that that they're okay you know and that they're they're all right because it's everything from like you know making sure people are housed and and set up with a gp to mm. um you know organizing counseling for um people that have witnessed war crimes you know it, it's yeah big job big job
0: yeah i think that people that that's a big thing people just um you know if, if you consider how uh little thing that uh, a little thing in childhood can mess you up a bit to mm-hmm. then be, you know, a, a, a child witnessing that you're not just coming here and needing a house for a absolutely. bit until yeah. the war finishes and you can go home again. Yeah, it, absolutely. Are, it's, yeah, I really feel good. And I am glad that we've, um, you know, the, the services are in place for that. It, because I, I, it worried me a bit that the government would just like no refugees as they so often do um and on one hand i think it's good uh, obviously it's good but also it makes me a bit sad that it's just like oh oh yeah these guys can come because they're white and european um, oh absolutely
1: yeah anyone else off to rwanda there you go yeah it's, uh, it's just a call in it really is and it's um it's
0: ugh. God, that's a different
1: thing though isn't it I guess <laughs> it is but you know homes for Ukraine why aren't we doing homes for all of the all of the other countries where there's people fleeing war and persecution and whatever else um, and you know it ultimately it comes down to the fact that they're not, um, not white and not Christian doesn't it that, that's what it comes down to and that yeah. inherently is the problem within our country um, gone slightly off topic. Uh, oh, the, and, we, <laughs> and we're actually making
0: money from selling arms. So uh, mm. you
1: meant me. us then, like me yeah, and yeah. you I like, oh,
0: we. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's what Did zero I... hours does. <laughs> with all the money that I make sponsored by <laughs> sell What's arms to the nav with bazooka's yep. <laughs> that's how I pay for for my uh palace. That I live in. Yeah, of <laughs> yeah. I just do the day job for fun. <laughs>
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, so before we sort of descend into uh, politics, political talk, which I believe, and hope everybody who
1: listens to this is already on the same page as us. Um, one really right-wing uh, person listening, like going, "Well, actually, I think we should be selling arms uh, and keeping the refugees out." So, <laughs> yeah, don't know what you're on about, Zero Hours <laughs> Podcast. I've been listening to this for four years, and I've gone
0: right off it now. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what uh what was your best job thinking about this and I I had two in mind Mm -hmm. I think like no job's perfect is it but I think well probably three in mind so number one comedy so I've always wanted to be a comedian and that's what I do now which is brilliant but um the more I've thought about it like with everything you start getting disillusioned don't you you start getting a bit pissed off Mm -hmm. so I've I started to think of comedy more as like um, a vocation than a job. Like it's a bit like uh, you know where people are like, oh yeah, nurses—they're just there because they really want to do it and make a difference. Like I feel like that. Like sometimes comedy is a bit like that. Like you've got this innate kind of thing that makes you want to go and do it. Doesn't mean you enjoy it. Doesn't mean it's fun. It's just something you've got to do. Like it's like a calling, like the yeah. priesthood or something. <laughs> That's how I feel about comedy at the moment. So for that reason, comedy is not my best job. Um mm-hmm. the second one that could be my best job was working in outdoor education. So I did this for years on and off, like seasonal work. Fantastic because you like as a young person. You, um, you work with like loads of school groups, teaching like climbing, abseiling, archery, all those kind of things. But like, and you're outside in the sunshine, mainly in the summer, it, it's really good fun. But the, the best fun about it is like you, um, like you live and work on site and you, it's usually sort of between 50 and hundred staff who are all sort of young people. And you know, you get you're up to a lot of shit, basically. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of fun lot of just like, kind of like being at uni or whatever, just a load of young people having a good time. So that was great. Um, but it wasn't my best job because it was an awful lot of like long hours. Like you only get one day off a week. Um, paid very little for the work you do. And also a lot of children around, mm, which, yeah. you know, like just, yeah. Mm. Mm. But it's definitely up there as a good job. But I actually think my best, best, best job of all time is the first job I ever had. So I think probably because I, probably because I wasn't jaded by the world of work. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first job I had from when I was 13 till when I was 15 and that was Paper Girl. And it, it was brilliant. Like I learned very quickly how to make money doing that job. So I started off just with one paper round on a morning um, Used to go down, walk the round and get like whatever it was, like £5 a week or something stupid like that. Realised quite quickly, if I had a bike, I could do a bigger round and I get paid like £7 a week. So started saving my wages up, went and got a bike, took on that bigger round, realised that if I got up an hour earlier, I could take two rounds in the morning. And then I got a round after school as well. So I was like, I was coining it in. I was doing, yeah. <laughs> doing amazing. It's so, like down at the paper shop for six in the morning, like throwing out papers left, right and center all over the place. And then I would do like, um, sometimes like, if, if people were on holiday or whatever, I'd do their rounds. I'd be I was, like, I was like king of the papers, honestly. <laughs> I, was, I was all over the place. I knew every, every local paper round, I knew off by heart. I was like, mm. literally it'd be like, I'd go in the paper shop and the guy Simon would be like, Oh, like John's off sick today. Can you uh can you do <laughs> can you do this extra round? And I'd be like, yeah, of course I can. I know it. I, like, can you do the U Tree round? Yeah, I'll do it. Fine. And I just like, I was raking it in, made a fortune. And it paid for like, it paid for me to be a teenager. Like from a working class background, I couldn't, couldn't really afford like the trainers to look cool or whatever. But because I had that little bit of extra money in my pocket, it meant that I could take a bit of pressure off my mum and dad. And buy those sort of things myself so it gave me that well it taught me to hustle first of all it taught me to like absolutely get out there and and it's you know whatever you put in you're gonna get back work hard work hard and also like um it just gave me that little bit of freedom that I needed as well that little extra kind of bit of money to to be able to live my life and do things and um yeah I like I raked it in particularly at christmas time like Mm -hmm. if you if i mean i don't know if paper rounds even still exist but if anyone's listening to this and they've got a paper round oh my god get yourself a one pound pack of christmas cards write happy christmas number 45 from your paper girl put it through with the paper they'll give you the fiver like i I used to get like 50 60 quid in tips every christmas every christmas i know it's mad I wanted to know if like if I did it on my own birthday I'd get it as well you know like it's my birthday I <laughs> am <have> a card well <laughs> I didn't it's think famous. that would work
0: <laughs> maybe not but if you found out
1: their birthdays would that be creepy oh I think I mean like, I probably could have done in like in the 90s but now like GDPR in it so probably not yeah true
0: yeah <laughs> but it is it's a, um it's it's delightful isn't it as a teenager that taste of like this is my money mm. i can do whatever i want with
1: absolutely yeah and there was never any pressure from a mum and dad of like you know this is a bit of it not being my money it was very much like well it you know it's your money you spend what you want on it if you want to you know do whatever buy them trainers that cost 50 quid more than the ones we would have bought yeah then do it it's your money um, and I think that's how I learn a lot of life lessons, really. Yeah. yeah. Just really conscious that my battery is going to go. Let me run and get my plug. Hold on. All
0: right, no worries. <laughs> I've had a look it was literally on the 2nd of May they changed the 40 minute limit thing oh right the free one there we go so um I feel like we should wrap up on a comedy note um because uh we are comedy and
1: (laughs) Comedy and arms dealing—that's what we do.
0: <laughs> comedians, just two comedians. comedians,
1: female comedians.
0: Yeah, and I—I I, uh, I suppose I should like talk a bit about. Well, I feel like we should give an honourable mention to Best in Class um, at the Edinburgh Festival. Um, yeah,
1: everyone wants to give us an honorary mention, but no one wants to give us money, Catherine. That's what we want. <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Because uh, that was, so we, we met doing circuit breakers at Leicester Comedy Festival, which, if you are a comedian,
1: fucking apply for that. That was amazing, wasn't it? Brilliant. One of the best opportunities that, that I've had. Like, I think that as a, as a relatively new comic starting out, like, um, you know, th- there's loads of different opportunities, competitions, things like that. And you, you, you just sort of throw your name at everything, don't you, and see what sticks and hope for the best. And you get rejected for more things that, than you ever get. Mm-hmm. but Circuit Breakers is one of the few things where I've been like oh my god that was brilliant like we you yeah. know we got to go to Leicester Comedy Festival we got to do a couple of shows we got paid for the work we did which is always yeah. important we got put up in a hotel with breakfast and oh, no, uh, we it was got up nice for a place. meal the breakfast was great as well it was like I remember just sitting there like eating sausages with like Flo and Joan at the next table like oh my god <laughs> yeah my <life. laughs> this is amazing <laughs> Um, and then, like we, you know, the the great thing about that, like, is that we actually got something to take away. So we got had that um, the photo opportunity with um, with Andy Hollingworth. So we like we spent a day in a studio, didn't we? And we, you know, we all got headshots to take away, which is like a, t- a real tangible thing, which as a new act you might not have, and to to go away with that, like. I I mean I'm not gonna lie when did we do it I'm still using mine uh (laughs) I look wildly different from mine otherwise I still would be but
0: also like to have a picture from Andy Hollingworth as well like he is a big name and he
1: is the loveliest man I have ever met (laughs) one of the nicest people in comedy I I wholeheartedly agree with that he's Mm. he's a lovely lovely bloke and he has photographed everyone from like victoria wood to like you know he literally i remember that that day talking to him and he was like so who are your favorite comedians and like i sort of said a few people and he was like oh yeah I photographed all of them and i was like are you I, what huh? and now you're photographing me what crazy and uh yeah and since then i've kept in touch with andy and he did like the shots that are going to be on my edinburgh poster as well and um you know i, f- I feel like he's just such a such a great guy within the industry he's just lovely mm. absolutely lovely
0: and it's nice to see somebody who just loves their job and is just yeah. so excited by their
1: job yes yeah. like you genuinely a... get the feeling from Andy like if he wasn't passionate about it if he didn't enjoy it he wouldn't be doing it he's not mm. just like you know he's not just sort of like oh a photograph comedians. like uh, you know he, he wants to be there he wants to do it and that mm. that passion kind of that passion rubs off on you. I don't think that's the way of saying it,
0: Charlotte.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Sorry, Andy. That's so, not what I mean. That sounds
0: like something happened in that <laughs> studio. Oh my god! I my, I just remember it being so damn cold. There was like a band next door, wasn't there? And I don't, we're all just huddled around this little heater, and it'd be like, "It's your turn," and you just throw your coat off, run out, be like, "Quickly, do, yeah. just jump around, yeah. get warm." I think it
1: was, eight of us and we were in a cupboard the size of like a wardrobe mm. with just one tiny little like Calagas heater or something <laughs> um, and we, like we were practically sitting on it we were we were and then all of a sudden it'd be like right I'm done you go and you'd just be like run out pretend you're warm smile <laughs> brush them icicles out of your hair you'll be fine yeah. go 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 quickly do the pictures I'm so.
0: Um, but yeah it was um so sort of from that I remember you said we were sat in a weather spoons uh because everyone else went home and <laughs> we we're like let's go spoons yeah. uh, which I don't go to anymore but this was back in the old world yeah um, before
1: before we knew before yeah. we knew about you know I mean we kind of so knew
0: yeah. but then he mm. confirmed and we're like yeah. all right well you know um <laughs> uh yeah you you tell me about besting class it's such a good that if, if well, I, I was gonna, I was gonna explain it, but actually, I think maybe maybe you you should you probably get the elevator pitch better, <laughs> explaining what it is.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, best in class um is a crowd-funded profit-sharing show um that champions working-class comedians, and the aim of it is to get working-class people to Edinburgh Fringe um because it is really expensive and really prohibitive um, to access the fringe when, when you're from a working class background. So um, sort of set up out of necessity and rage, I guess. It was just me going, do you know what? Let's, let's sort this out. Um, and yeah, the first year that um, you were involved, we, t- we took eight people up, we crowdfunded, we did some little gigs and stuff, and we all made a little bit of money off it, which was nice. And then 2019, it got a bit bigger, we did a bit more and we became a registered CIC and then 2020 we um started our crowdfunder, got all our fees covered and then pandemic so that didn't happen but we're we're back again now for 2022 I'm just about to finalize the lineup hopefully in the next couple of days by the time this goes out we should be hopefully it should have all been revealed um and yeah we're um we've now got as well a bursary fund so we got I don't know how this happened but um I, in anger during lockdown, I saw that the Fringe were giving out grants to people, and one of the things they wanted, you know, it was the usual sort of protected characteristics, people with disabilities, people of colour, LGBT people, and then they said working class as well, and I thought, right, getting on this. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a very angry pitch for a grant, um, and I remember using words similar to, um, it doesn't matter How many plays you put on about living under the shadow of a colliery? The main issue (laughs) is money. Yeah. So, but it is, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and like, um, I remember writing it thinking, like, I don't care who I piss off because they're not going to give me money anyway. But they did. (laughs) That's amazing. They gave us, um, we, we applied to basically set up an accommodation bursary. So they gave us five grand as part of the fringe recovery fund. And that is all being doled out in 500 pound chunks to working class performers that are going to Edinburgh. So, you know, it's just about literally taking the money from the fringe society and giving it to the people that need it most. And that's what, you know, that, that's what we're doing. Um, we're also sort of crowdfunding to increase that pot. Um, we've, we've raised an extra 2,000 on top of that. Um, I'd love it if we could raise more because we've already had more applications than money we've got. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, in an ideal world, that pot would be limitless. And anyone that approaches me and says, Sean, can you help? I would say, here's 500 for you. Here's 500 for you. It'd, it'd be amazing. But at the minute, the, the money's finite. So it's about, you know, if we can generate the money, then we can help more people and get them up there. Because, you know, the last thing we need is the sort of, I don't know, Saturation that that you get in Edinburgh tends to be, um you know, middle class and upper class comedians that all went to Oxford and Cambridge that you know are just sort of up there as a vanity project or or whatever. That you know we we need representation and the way to do that is by getting getting money to the right people so that they can get up there and make their mark and they can be the ones getting put on telly and they can be the ones getting put on radio. Um, so yeah that. That's just what I do in my spare time, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it. I
0: think, like, I genuinely admire you for actually doing something because it's something that everybody, well, you know, we've all said, but then, mm. like, you know, you're the only person I know who's actually done something. And, yeah. um, you know, and it's so much work. So, I, I, you know, I really admire what you're doing there. And I think, you know, I've sort of said, it's, it's a shame that the bigger venues never thought to do that but in many ways I hope that they don't now because it yeah so many times you know there'll be people doing something and then you know after you've put four years of work into it the the bigger ones are like oh yeah no thank you we'll take that bye-bye and <laughs> you know and then it suddenly and just ruin it again which is what's happened with the the Edinburgh Festival and it makes me so angry that like I think of comedy as a a working class kind of art form really because yeah. it's you know that that's what it is isn't it it's, you don't need training you learn on the job you don't you don't even need a microphone really you can just just uh, just you turning up to a place talking to people and um you know you don't have to do years of expensive drama school or whatever and I just it it upsets and angers me that you know it's been people have been priced out of it um for the sake of you know it's like reviews and stars and yeah you know you can't afford to do it and there are fantastic people talented people who can't do it because they can't afford to do it and then people who can do it because they've got
1: contacts and don't really need to do a day job absolutely it's um you know and the more the more I go into it the the more it upsets me and saddens me and it it, you know it's not just about this kind of bitter chip on your shoulder working class person that wants what everyone else has got because you know people are putting the work in they're absolutely grafting and there is there's something to be said for the fact that there's a lot of working class comics who make really decent money and have a great career on the club circuit and they do brilliantly and they're you know they're they're going out to rapturous applause every single night, and they're, they're doing fantastic. And all you know, all power to them if that's what they want, but not everyone wants that, you know. And I think that working class people should have the opportunity to do that art circuit that you know, the festivals, the the hour long narrative show that is self indulgent and is you know, all of those things. Just because you went to a comprehensive doesn't mean you, you shouldn't have access to doing it, and at the moment, that's how it is, even like you know. This year, for example, like I, I'm taking up my, my debut hour. Um, mm. And I've been, I, I've been grafting on this show for, for a long time. Like It should yeah. have gone up before the pandemic. It's going up this year. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all right for money and I can cover all my fees and stuff because we've had such a long gap. So I, I'm all good. But I can't afford PR. Like PR can cost sort of around two grand. Mm. And basically the way it works is you pay a PR company. Um, they, they take you on as a client, but they also take on 100 other people. They throw a load of things at, at the newspapers and if it sticks, they'll write an article and then the PR people get all the credit for it and, and that's how it works. Um, if, if it doesn't stick, then you've paid two grand for nothing. Um, and I just can't afford to take that risk. So no. I'm not doing PR. But well, I'm already seeing people that are going up with a debut hour this year, having um, you know, articles in broadsheet newspapers being mentioned as the next up and coming thing, which is fantastic for them. But I think it's only when you're in the industry that you realize how PR works from the from the outside, you just you just read it and you go, oh, like as as a punter, you just read it and go, this comedian must be the next up and coming thing because they're in the times or you know, whatever it is. Whereas <laughs> you know, there's a thousand other up and coming fantastic people that can't afford the two grand to, yeah. to get in the paper. You know, yeah. it's not it's not it's not um those articles aren't journalism, they are um paid, paid Yeah. For, it's paid yeah. yeah.
0: It's um that pisses me off, Catherine.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> it's it's wild, isn't it? It's um it is wild, but you know, I, I I'm gonna go off. I'm gonna I know I've got a good show because it's already won an award, which is yeah. fantastic. Um, I know I'm capable of, of doing a good fringe because we've done it for two years with best in class and comedy queers. Um so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be writing my own press releases. I'm gonna be doing that this afternoon probably and sending them out. And um, you know, hopefully doing a good show, working hard, being nice to people. Uh I should have a good year. If I don't, I don't. That uh, you know, that's just I've got I've got to give it my all and hope for the best. But I can't afford PR. So there we are. Yeah. I'm sure you'll do well. Go and see it if if you are in Edinburgh and you're listening to this. Um, Yes, if you are in Edinburgh um, and you're listening to this, it's Sean Davis, about time. It's at 1740 at Gilded Balloon TV. It's in the turret. Um, Oh, my
0: God. I was the technician for that um, venue Ah. years ago, the the year that Ashlyn B was in it, the little 50 seater. Yes, it's a top, lovely of the, top of
1: the shop, right up the stairs.
0: Yeah. There is a lift,
1: apparently it is accessible. Um, but yeah, I'll be mm. getting my exercise in, walking up them stairs every day. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lovely little venue. It's great. Um,
0: you'll have a wonderful time.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it, to be honest. And then, yeah, we've got Best in Class as well that's over at the Counting House in the Lounge. That's at um, 2045 Um. And that'll be a showcase of the best up-and-coming working-class comedians that we can uh, get up there. Um, bit Um, A bit of an unusual time. Like, we've only really done best-in-class during the day before, but mm-hmm. we were offered that later slot, and we thought, well, oh, let's see how it goes. So, yeah, a little bit later on. Um, So, yeah, we've got that there. And then in the same room, later on at 23.45, we've got the fantastic um Comedy Queers, which is um, just a late-night LGBTQIA+. Um, bit of loveliness really, just a, lo- a load of queer acts, bit of cabaret, bit of drag, bit of comedy, bit of absolute madness, um, and it all goes off with a bang. It's just a little queer kiki, and I love it. Um, yeah. yeah. gonna be with busy. All- all- I'm gonna be busy, yeah, I'm gonna be very busy. Three shows a day, why not, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> 90 shows in a month.
1: Yeah, it's
0: all right, isn't it? It's what? all right. Piece of piss. Yeah. <laughs> my god but um yeah I think just uh I guess my my last thought on you know how you're saying people club comedians should should be able to write hours and be be able to do the art scene I think that people don't realize that to go to a festival you organize that yourself and you pay for it all yourself I think people just assume that you get invited to do them Mm -hmm. and don't understand the costs. They're like, what? Five, ten pounds to come and see it. You? You're just talking. But they don't <laughs> realize that, like, you've got your festival registration fee. You've got to yeah. have a And ev-
1: everyone's taking a cut from everything. So, you know, box like your, your box office, your venue, your production, your everyone is taking a little, a little bit off the top. Like it's kind of like, you know. If I'm in that fifty-seater room for twenty-five days, it's like fifteen, basically fifteen hundred seats that I've got to buy and then sell back to the public. That yeah. that's how it works, you know. So, and everyone that I don't sell is a loss.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember a man sitting on the front row saying, uh, "This better be good because I've paid for parking." <laughs> and I was like, "You absolute." Belend, like, do you know how much it it's cost me two hundred pounds to do this one hour to five yeah. people, wow. <laughs> two of whom didn't pay for a ticket because you're reviewers, and didn't <laughs> tell me until the day after when I found a review on Twitter. So, <laughs> you know, uh, be
1: kind to, to people. Yeah, hashtag be kind. Yeah. Hashtag don't pay for parking. Yeah,
0: yeah. as a rule, never pay for. Oh no, no! Why would you? Why would yeah. you? Um, anyway, uh, I feel like uh, this. This is our time. Um, it's been lovely to talk to you. Where can people find you on social medias, etc. Uh,
1: yeah, you can find me on um, Instagram at sean underscore davis underscore comedy um and you can find me on twitter at morrissey's quiff um yeah that's it really i've got a facebook page but i don't really use it but you know if if, if you're a nana and you're listening and that's your kind of cup of tea go to it um, we've also got pages for best in class at we are best in class on instagram and facebook um but yeah just you know find me i'm around just google me you'll get the website and there i am yeah wonderful well thank you so much Uh, thank you so much for having me it's been it's been lovely yeah take care yeah bye bye Bye.